Iowa Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Let's get started. As Eric Bilstadt was just telling you, the Harley-Davidson 120th anniversary is coming up. It is going to be this summer, late August, on the, the lakefront, and they've announced the, the lineup. Apparently, it's going, to, uh, it's going to be July 13th to the 16th. There's going to be multiple venues across the county, but the, the, where the, the party is really going to be centered is, is Veterans Park on the lakefront, and on July 14th, Green Day, is going to be the headlining band, and on July 15th, the Foo Fighters are going to be the headlining band. So these are very, very popular big bands that you know, I think, are going to have a lot of appeal to um, Harley riders. In addition, there's going to be all sorts of other acts playing the Harley Festival, including Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, uh, Cody Jinks, Social Distortion, um, White Reaper, all these different headliners that are coming in, and they're expecting that you're going to have a huge amount of, of again, if these Harley celebrations are any indication, you're going to have a huge amount of, of people that are coming in. Tickets for the Veterans Park concerts are on now, on, are on sale now. Single-day general admission tickets, 99 bucks, $180 for two-day <clears throat> general admission tickets. And, you know, there's also going to be all sorts of other stuff going on at <clears throat> Veterans Park. On July 15th and, and 16th, there's going to be other events at different Harley dealerships. And this is going to be the first time in what I think about 15 years that a major Harley festival is being held at Veterans Park. You've got to go back to 2008 for their 105th anniversary featuring a performance from Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Okay, th- this is all, th- this is cool. And if you like Green Day and you like the Foo Fighters and you like some of these other bands, it, it's tremendous. You can buy tickets. You can know what you're getting into. But we cannot have a conversation about what's going to happen this July in Milwaukee without having a conversation about what happened in August of 2003. And I can't, I cannot believe that it's been 20 years, but it has been 20 years. Now, I understand that there's a lot of people like me who grew up in this, this town and have lived here all our lives and, and kind of have this historical recollection of things that go on. At the same time, I understand there's also a lot of people that have moved here over the last 20 years or were too young to remember 2003 and don't recall or never learned about one of the most glaring public relations mistakes, I I think, in the history of American business. Now, let me take you back to the summer of 2003. It was the Harley 100th anniversary celebration, and they they expected over 200,000 bikers from all over the country and all over the world were going to be coming to Milwaukee. Um, all the hotel re- in the hotel rooms in the region were booked seven months in advance. And homeowners 
were paid to leave town. And you might, this is before Airbnb and stuff like that. And this is 20 years ago. People were renting like four bedroom houses for like two grand. Um, if you had a, a mansion or something, they were renting it for $1,500 a night. And again, this is all before Airbnb. It, it was just, it was huge. And you cannot describe how enormous this event was going to be. Well, Harley, again, they were going to have, they had a number of events throughout the area. And, you know, for their their shows, um, they had, you know, Billy Idol, they had Joan Jett, they had Poison, they had REO Speedwagon. All of these were, were great shows. But the big buildup was that it all led up to a free concert at, wait for it, Veterans Park that was going to be on August 31st of 2003. Now, <clears throat> here's the mistake that Harley made. Instead of saying who the performer was going to be and who the acts were going to be, they decided to keep it secret. And it, it built, so there was all this speculation that was going to be out there about who who was going to perform. And there were rumors that Harley was going to be bringing the Rolling Stones in, even though they were playing in Europe, or that Harley was going to be bringing uh, Bruce Springsteen in, even though that <clears throat> Bruce Springsteen was scheduled to play at uh, Miller Park. It was then Miller Park, now American Family Field. He was scheduled to play there the following month. But no, no, he, he was going to come here. So you've got 200,000 bikers, right, who have been here. They're drinking. They're partying. They, they're expecting. And, and it's all the speculation. What is this going to be? Is it going to be the Stones? Is it going to be Bruce Springsteen? So... <clears throat> All these people pour into Veterans Park, and this is after a week of events, and, and there's all this buzz and buzz and buzz. And first of all, they bring out Dan Aykroyd, who, um, I, I've got, matter of fact, I've got a, a link to this story up on, on Twitter. Dan Aykroyd completely bombed, just kind of completely bombed, and looked overwhelmed by the crowd. So you've got all these bikers who've been partying all week, and they're, you know, they're ready to rock. So first of all, they bring out the Doobie Brothers, okay, backed by the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. Okay, uh, all right, Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra is wonderful, don't get me wrong, but playing at this free Harley Fest concert doesn't work out. Then comes Tim McGraw. Now, I think Tim McGraw is a great country performer, but, but again, you're talking about a loud crowd of bikers, right? You know, they're ready to rock, and Tim McGraw... Really, that was not his performance. And he also came out and he was doing some of like these slow country love songs and stuff. Well, he ends up getting getting booed off the stage. In the middle of the McGraw set, Kid Rock comes out and Kid Rock does three songs. Okay, and people love Kid Rock, right? So this is Harley Riders, Kid Rock. It's kind of the perfect thing, but he only does three songs. But that's okay. Meanwhile, the day is going on and on and on, and people are getting drunker, and people are getting more restless, and you get this huge crowd, and it's free, and everybody's just ready to explode because it's going to be the Rolling Stones, or it's going to be Bruce Springsteen, right? That's where we think is going on. So who gets trotted out as the headliner for the last show, this giant free show that there's been all this speculation about? Well, it's Elton John. Now, I like Elton John. I have been to Elton John concerts. I think Elton John is an incredibly talented performer. I have Elton John recordings. I am a fan of Elton John. But Elton John, this, you know, this little British guy, is not exactly the type of person 
that you would necessarily think would appeal to a crowd of drunken bikers who've been here all week. It was, you know, I mean, he's got a couple hard rocking songs. I mean, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. I, I get that and all. But, you know, Benny and the Jets, maybe. But, um, come on. I mean, Rocket Man, I guess that's why they call it the blues. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. This is not, this is not what the Harley fans came to see. And it's this huge disappointment. As a matter of fact, once, once it's Elton John that's out there, apparently everybody just disgruntled they start pouring out the people are are leaving um apparently everybody so many people are leaving that they take down the barriers they let everybody go into the vip area um it was i mean the only good news was that traffic you know wasn't bad because instead of having two hundred thousand people leave at once everybody's pretty much cleared out once it's elton john it was an unmitigated flop that they decided to have Elton John. And it wouldn't have been so much the fact that, you know, it was Elton John, but it was because they built up expectations. I mean, they built up expectations. If they would have announced, hey, this is the lineup. Elton John's going to headline, and it's going to be Kid Rock, and it's going to be the Doobie Brothers. If they had just told you what it was, at least people wouldn't have gone there expecting to hear Bruce Springsteen or hoping for the Rolling Stones, and then... Then it's it's Elton John. And again, I don't mean this to knock Elton John, but Harley, from a public relations standpoint and a marketing standpoint, it was a complete and total foobar. It was an absolute disaster because they built up expectations and then they were not able to deliver. All right. One segment. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Do you... If you were there that night, I would love to talk to you. Do you remember that week, and do you remember the reaction to Elton John and the general thought of what could Harley have been thinking? What could go wrong? Let's build up all these expectations, and let's then let's bring out, you know, the goodbye yellow brick road guy. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line we discuss in just a moment. Okay, that's an Elton John song. <clears throat> Saturday, Saturday night's all right for fighting. Okay, you, you play that. The Harley crowd loves it. But, you know, what do you do kind of after that? All right, Cindy in Richfield. Cindy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Cindy. At the time? Okay. Yep, can you hear me? Uh, uh, go ahead, Cindy. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. We were at the show. My husband worked for Harley at the time, and we... We're sitting next to a gentleman from Quebec who had wrote down by himself. And so we were trying, we had befriended him and we're talking to him. And he was very confused as to why people were so upset. So uh-huh. with a very limited language, we were trying to explain this to him, why it wasn't cool. But it was also the fact that every time they had a close-up of him on the big screen, his piano says Yamaha right across <laughs> it, which that did not go over well. Yeah, yeah, on on so many different levels. Th- this was not well thought out. Th- thanks for the call, Cindy. Let me we're, we're swamped with text sure. on the text line. Um, thanks okay. for the call, uh, Jeff. <clears throat> I was there, and many many people left. I stuck around, and Elton's credit, I thought he put on a great show. Um, all right, now some people are being a little bit critical of Green Day because the lead singer for Green Day has been very very outspoken 
about um, not liking a lot of stuff that goes on in America. But that, but at least, see, but that's not the point. <clears throat> at least you know it's going to be Green Day. So if you don't want to go to see the Green Day show, don't go to see the Green Day show. The problem with what happened 20 years ago was hardly built up expectations and then wasn't able to deliver. OMG, I was there, and within two seconds, a funeral of a friend, most of the crowd left. We like Elton John, and we stayed, and we enjoyed it. Um, yeah, Jeff, do you think Elton John was a strategy for crowd control so the crowd wouldn't get too wild? <laughs> By the way, I think Foo Fighters is an amazing choice. Um, Jeff, my husband and I were two of the many who left that concert when we saw who the mystery musician was. Uh, Jeff Harley will never, ever live that down. Oh, my goodness, it was a fiasco. I had tickets, but I got a call from a friend who was there. He said that the lines at the beer were 10 deep, the lines to the bathroom were 12 deep, and the surprise guest is Elton John. Me and my other friends just went bar hopping around town and skipped the um, the concert. Jeff, the woman in charge of marketing for Harley-Davidson was fired over that, that debacle. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Jeff, this comes from a former co-worker of mine. Elton John opened with the song Funeral for a Friend, and someone in the crowd shouted out that it was Pink Floyd. Sometime around the great exodus, Elton John declared that even he didn't know what he was doing there. Uh, Jeff, as one of our texters, callers, just said, don't forget about the clearly branded Yamaha Harley competitor piano visible from all angles on the big stage. Yep. Um, that's it. Jeff, what I remember vividly was the late night news, and all they were doing was interviewing people, exiting the lakefront grounds. In some respects, it was hilarious. Jeff, I remember it like it was yesterday. I live in Pewaukee, and I could hear the groans out here. Um, yeah, yep. Yep, yep, there's no doubt about it. Jeff, the Elton John Show, can't believe that 20 years has passed since then. I started riding that year and was excited to attend the various events throughout the city. I recall all the disappointment heard from riders that weekend. Yep, that was the, again, this is what happens when you build up expectations and you cannot deliver. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I just, I, I just sent out a link with this, this thought. Now, the mistake, as we were talking about, that Harley made for the 100th anniversary wasn't so much, I, I think, booking Elton John. It was creating all these expectations as to who might be the lead performer and then not meeting them and, and causing the, the huge problem. So they haven't done that. For the 120th, they've announced Foo Fighters one night and Green Day is going to be headlining at Veterans Park on July 14th. Now, I, I just... I throw this out there for the subject of, of at least thought, because I'm going to be curious to see how this plays out. The band Green Day is fronted by a guy named Billy Joe Armstrong. And I've got a link to the, this this story um, about Billy Joe Armstrong. Let me. This is from this summer, and you might remember Billy Joe Armstrong. He's got a lot of attention. Green Day lead singer Billy Joe Armstrong said he was going to renounce his U.S. citizenship and move to England because he's so upset over the Supreme Court overturning the landmark abortion case of Roe v.ersus Wade. The American Idiot singer made the comments to a crowd at his band show in London on Friday. Blank America. I'm blanking, reducing, renouncing my citizenship. I'm blanking coming here. There's just too much blanking stupid in the world to go back to that miserable blanking excuse for a country. Oh, I'm not kidding. You're going to get a lot of me in coming days. Um, okay. Uh, he went on to say, 
Um, then he was at a show the next day. He called, well, I can't use the word that he used to call, to describe the justice of the Supreme Court. He then said, blank, the Supreme Court of America, although he didn't say blank. It's a word that I can't say on the radio. Um, this is, again, not the first time he's expressed his dislike for the U.S., um, he's blasted the American media in the song American Idiot, and he has, of course, been outspoken for his dislike of former President Trump at the American Music Awards in 2016. So I, I just I do think it, it's sort of an interesting situation, and I, the, you, you know what you're getting into, but it is kind of interesting to me that a great American con- company like, like Harley-Davidson uh, chooses Green Day, and with Billy Joe Armstrong saying he's renouncing his U.S. citizenship, I I don't think he's done that as of yet, but that's certainly what he was talking about doing this summer. So that's who's going to be headlining one of the nights, and I suspect that there's going to be some controversy among about that. But again, th- this is the decision. You can decide if you want to go or not go, and that that's that's fine. You know what you're getting into. I will be curious to see if... Billy Joe Armstrong goes on the same sort of anti-America rant at the Harley 120th celebration at Veterans Park this summer that he did when he was in London last summer. Just I, I, I sort of doubt it might be the same sort of approach, but again, you, you never know exactly. So um, that's just kind of the... That's sort of the choice that is out there. Okay, let us completely and totally switch gears. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when the idea was first suggested, and and now it's starting to gain a little more more traction. By way of background, it's just, it is a madhouse on the streets of Milwaukee and southeastern Wisconsin in general. I'm looking at the latest story. 18-year-old man died following a crash on Milwaukee's north side that left two others injured and one man in custody, police say. The crash occurred Tuesday at roughly 11.45 a.m. in the 5200 block of North Sherman Boulevard. So this was, you know, yesterday during the day. According to police, a speeding vehicle collided with another vehicle. The driver of the vehicle that was collided into suffered life-threatening injuries before dying at the hospital. The occupants of the speeding vehicle fled on foot but later returned. The driver of the speeding vehicle, an 18-year-old man, was transported to the hospital with non-fatal um, injuries. He was subsequently arrested. But but here, you, again, you have another one of these situations, somebody driving like a bat out of you-know-where, you know, hits and, and kills someone and and this is a story that we could do on a daily basis just just the irresponsible driving people driving at high rates of speed and what ends up happening of course is that sometimes they kill themselves but more often not like happened the other day yesterday they, they kill you know innocent people who have <clears throat> pulled out into the intersections they've got the right away and they don't think that there's going to be some car blowing into them at 100 miles an hour that ends up killing them so the idea that has been floated and like i say we we talked about this a couple weeks ago um right now the city of milwaukee operates traffic lights at about 760 intersections the dpw says none of them flash red in all four directions unless they're broken so green go red stop yellow around here means drive like a bat out of you know where so one of the things that is being suggested is taking a bunch of these intersections particularly the intersections that have the highest rates of of collisions and from like 10 at night 
until 6 in the morning, turning them into four-way stop signs. So instead of green and yellow and red, they're, they're all flashing red. So the idea is you stop before you proceed. Now, this does not stop the reckless driver going 100 miles an hour from blowing through that that flashing red light. So it's not going to deal with that. But what it does do is it causes the responsible driver, presumably, instead of saying, hey, it's green, I've got the right of way, I'm going through the intersection, to stop and presumably look both ways. So maybe, just maybe, you see that car, my God, that car's going, that, that car to my left, that, that's, that's weaving in and out of traffic. He's driving like a bat out of you-know-where. I'm going to stop and let him go through. So the idea is maybe you can reduce the number of collisions that occur, and particularly to the innocent drivers who are in vulnerable positions because they get you know hit on the side by the car going 100 miles an hour. It's not a perfect solution to the reckless driving problem, but it is a way of perhaps protecting the responsible drivers from the irresponsible drivers. Now, you need to do all sorts of other stuff as well, and it starts with catching the people that are driving 100 miles an hour, and in my opinion, changing the law so you can put them in prison. But, but that's another story. Story. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. The beauty of doing something like this is that it really costs almost nothing. I mean, all you have to do is reprogram the, the lights. You don't have to spend a dollar building any new infrastructure. You just reprogram the lights so they flash red from 10 in the morning till 6 at night or from 8 at night, whatever time you think is, is appropriate. So you get the effect of a four-way stop. I think until we can figure out a way to get the reckless, dangerous drivers off the street, this is what I would describe as a good idea that should certainly be tried out. To me, there's no downside to it. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Stop, stop, stop all the dancing. Give me time to breathe. Stop, stop. Okay, I'm going to read a couple texts that, that I don't disagree with. Um, I'm, I'm the guy that argues that, that the, the ultimate solution, and maybe it starts with the legislature in, in Madison, which is criminalizing reckless driving, just like first offense drunk driving is a civil offense, um, second, third, fourth offense is criminal. I think we need to do that with reckless driving. The idea that you have people who are driving recklessly, and unless they hit and kill somebody or cause major property damage, they essentially get a ticket for 300 bucks or whatever it is and six points off their license, which they probably don't have to begin with, doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, I, I, I agree with it. The way you have to get the reckless drivers themselves off the street is you have to up the penalties, and I'm not talking about points on a license that they probably don't have or don't care about, and I'm not talking about a $300 fine where the just crumple up the ticket and throw it away. They don't, they don't care about that. You, you have to have consequences. But in the interim, I'm trying to figure out ways that you can save lives. And this particular idea makes sense to me. The idea being from 10 at night till 6 in the morning or whatever times you decide to do it, you, you reprogram these lights so all the lights are flashing red. It's not going to stop somebody from going 100 miles an hour and blowing through the red light, but it might give some people instead of thinking, hey, it's green, I've got the right of way, I'm into the intersection, and then boom, you're, you're hit by a car going 100 miles an hour and you end up in the morgue, it, it might 
protect some of those innocent people. It's not gonna it's not perfect. It's not gonna protect everybody. I, I get it. I understand that. But it seems to me it's worth, you know, trying. Do you have traffic lights flashing after ten o'clock? It's been going on in St. Louis ever since I can remember. I'm sixty seven years old. Jeff, these people don't stop now for red lights. What makes you think they'll stop for a flashing night light? Well okay, I'm not saying they're gonna stop for a flashing light, but I am saying maybe if if you or I, I don't know, when I see a green light, even in the city of Milwaukee, I assume I've got the right of way. Well, it's going to make me stop. So when the idiot's driving 100 miles an hour, blows through the red light, he doesn't hit me. That's it. The, the, the texture says we need more tickets handed out. Well, no, the, the tickets don't do anything. They could care less. These reckless drivers could care less about the tickets. What we need is that we need to have to get them off the street. Jeff, reckless drivers, it's pretty pathetic that safe drivers have to start taking drastic measures and inconvenience to stay alive while politicians and legal liberals ignore the criminal and their accountability. Well, I mean, that's that's a point. And I guess that's why legislature, I would love to see some of my Republican friends in the state legislature. Let, let's let's revamp the criminal code. Let's make reckless driving criminal, especially after the first instance Let's use that drunken driving thing as a parallel, and let's start getting people off the street. Jeff, um, I, I guess it sounds like a good idea, unless the reckless idiot is coming up from behind you when you stop at the blinking red light and you get hit from behind at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, we, we had a story. It wasn't at a blinking red light, but you had that story of the uh, oh the, the man, the 52-year-old guy who was a passenger in a car with his parents who was killed when he was hit from behind by the guy who's the illegal alien who was high on meth on New Year's morning or something like that, and that was the rear end sort of thing. But, it, it, again, this isn't perfect. There, there's no question. But I, I think it's a, a better solution than you have. Jeff, I think four-way stops bring their own kind of chaos, like when some drivers don't pay attention or know who goes next. But I agree with you. It could be a good stepping stone solution. Forcing slowing and stopping reduces the damaging power of a, a vehicle. Jeff, my frustration is our elected officials will waste time and suspend us into bankruptcy while they try everything except holding people accountable. Well, the thing I like about this idea is it, it, it's, it's a freebie. It, it, it's, we're not talking about spending money on, on infrastructure or anything like that. You're talking about just, okay, changing the, the software. Well, that's always the beauty of live radio when you, you just kind of like swallow wrong. Oh, better take a quick break here. So passionate about that that. That, that whole four-way stop thing, and one of our texters makes a very good point, says, you know, this makes a lot more sense to me than, than red light cameras, which often devolve into a, a money grab. And the problem with red light cameras is, again, a lot of the really bad drivers, they, they don't, they're not going to pay the tickets anyways. It does, you can give them all the tickets you want, and it's not going to change their behavior at all because many times they're, they're driving stolen cars or they're driving without a license and, and things that – they're driving with no insurance, stuff that most people wouldn't wouldn't even think of doing. So it's okay. So you've got another ticket. So my license is suspended. What do I care? You know, I, or if you even have a driver's license in the first place. You know, here's another story though. It's, it's going to be worth following up when we get more information. Twenty-six-year-old man. It's stories from Fond du Lac. Twenty-six-year-old Milwaukee man taken into custody in Fond du Lac. After, this is yesterday, well, it's actually Monday night, Tuesday morning, 12.42 a.m. Here's what happens. Uh, A Fond du Lac County Sheriff's deputy sees 
a vehicle speeding on I-41 northbound around Highway B in the town of Byron. So this is 12.45 in the morning. You see this car is speeding. Emergency lights, they turn on the bubble lights. Emergency lights and sirens were active in an effort to catch up to the suspect and to try to tell him to stop. Yeah, there's red lights behind you. Well, okay, this is southeastern Wisconsin. Nobody stops for the cops. The vehicle then blows through a stop sign at an intersection. The vehicle increases its speed, continues to resist the deputy's attempt to stop the vehicle. Meanwhile, they call in the license plate. Hey, I'm involved in a chase. This is the license plate. The chase comes back. The Department of Transportation say the plates don't belong to any vehicle. Okay, so it, it, the presumption, I think, is the guy's driving a, a stolen vehicle, that would be my guess, with somebody else's plates on it. Don't know that for sure, but that's kind of my guess. So continuing the pursuit, the suspect vehicle exits onto Highway 151, if you can picture that, up in Fond du Lac, traveling southbound until exiting onto Hickory Street. The vehicle then proceeds to the on-ramp for Highway 151 northbound, traveling back to Interstate 41. They ultimately are able to smash into the car and cause the suspect to lose control of the vehicle. They block the vehicle's path and they immobilize it. Refusing orders to exit the vehicle, deputies assisted the suspect out through the driver's side of the window where he was taken into custody. The suspect was found to be on, wait for it, felony probation for hit and run causing injury. Gee, I I wonder how that could be. And first degree, recklessly endangering safety, use of a dangerous weapon. So the guy that is driving in this incredibly dangerous fashion on probation for causing hit and run injury and for recklessly endangering safety by use of a dangerous weapon. He uh, received... Also had had a prior record. He'd got citation, a number of citations and things like that. In total, the pursuit covered nine and a half miles with Wisconsin State Patrol assisting in the conclusion. The guy is from Milwaukee. So the operative question is going to be, who put him on felony probation in the first place, and why did we think it was going to work out well? Another example of where the court system apparently got it way, way, way wrong. And I think the more details who come out about the suspect, the worse this is going to, again, look for the court system, and we'll follow up. When we come back, next hour of the program, I want to go where angels fear to tread. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. In 2018 and 2022, what happened was in Milwaukee County, uh, they, in an effort to try to juice turnout um, for liberal candidates, the county board put various non-binding referendums on the ballot. In 2018, it was, uh, should you legalize pot? And then in 2022, they brought the same, exact same, verbatim, ballot um, not advisory referendum back. Again, trying to, to turn out people who support legalizing marijuana, hoping that they would vote for Democrat candidates. That That's what ended up happening. And I firmly believe that if you look at when Tony Evers was first elected in 2018, the fact that you had the, these marijuana referendums on a number of county ballots, Dane County and Milwaukee County and a couple other, that, that helped juice, juice the turnout which helped lead to to Evers beating Walker. It was a political thing. Uh, This year, 
Milwaukee County is trying to do the same thing. They've got uh, essentially a legalized abortion, non-binding referendum question that's going to be on the April ballot. And again, the hope is, I think this is that it's, the taxpayer is going to cost them 16500 bucks to put that question on the ballot. But they're hoping that that will turn out some people to, to vote for on this advisory referendum. And they will also vote for whatever liberal candidate, whichever liberal candidate, has, happens to be on the ballot for state Supreme Court. It's an effort to try to juice turnout to manipulate a, a result, but but it's just the way the game is played. So Tony Evers yesterday wanted to do this statewide. He said, look, this is what I want, I, and it's only the legislature that can <clears throat> put these questions on the ballot. But Tony Evers had come out and he said, look, this, this is what I want is I want a statewide referendum on the question of legalizing abortion. He said, I, I want to ask, should Wisconsin's 1849 abortion law be repealed and the constitutional rights guaranteed under Roe versus Wade be restored? And again, the, the reason Evers is asking this isn't because he really wants to see where Wisconsinites are on this. It's because he wants to use this as a wedge issue to try to generate more voters to come out statewide who might otherwise not be voting in the state Supreme Court race and vote for whichever candidate they feel is most likely to throw out the state 1849 law. So it's a political move, pure and simple. And the state legislature is having none of it. It's going nowhere. So it's not going to happen. But taking the politics out of this, and this is where I say I want to go where angels fear to tread, I think... We need to have a conversation about where we go with the law on abortion in this state. And this is a conversation that I I suspect maybe none of you are going to fully uh, agree with me. And I understand that people on sort of the extremes on both sides aren't going to like anything that I I have to say about this. But I, I really think we need to move forward. And the way you move forward is through the legislature. Now, here, here is the deal. Um, Evers is right. Wisconsin has an 1849 law, which essentially says no abortions, except in the case of um, whether or not a woman is going to die. No abortions for rape. No abortions for incest. No elective abortions at all. In this regard, we in Wisconsin are unique from all the states around us. And so as a result, we have become an anti-abortion island. I don't know that you can point to any woman who since since Roe versus Wade was overturned hasn't been able to get an abortion. But what they have to do is they have to travel to Illinois or they have to travel to, to Minnesota or they have to travel over to Michigan to get it. And that's why, like, for example, the Planned Parenthood outfits, they, they, they fund this. I mean, they, they'll provide money. If somebody doesn't have the money to go down to Illinois, they'll, they'll pay for the transportation. So people are still getting abortions. That That is the reality of this. But it's just more inconvenient for them to do it. So at least in my opinion, this law doesn't stop anybody. It just makes people, again, have to travel to do it. When Evers comes out and talks about this, he cites poll after poll after poll of Wisconsinites who I think the vast majority believe that abortion in some form should be allowed. 
Now, there are people like Evers and some people on the far left who believe that there should be no limits on, on elective abortions and that essentially, you know, anybody, you can have an elective abortion up till the moment that you, that you give birth. I, I think that that's appalling, and I don't think that's where the majority of people are. At the same time, I, I think it's also very, very clear that majority of Wisconsin residents believe that for situations like rape and incest, Women should have the option to get the abortions. I think that also, I think the vast majority of people believe, as do I, that abortions at a certain point, there, there should be the right to have an elective abortion. Now, <clears throat> we've talked about this before. In this country, 92% of elective abortions are done in the first 14 weeks. 90, I think it's like 95 or 96% are, are done in the first 16 weeks okay so that that's the bottom line so the the vast majority of elective abortions are done within 16 weeks so i guess what i want to talk to you about is what is the end game here because there's no question that republican candidates i think took a hit in 2022 because nationwide and statewide what three quarters of the ads it seemed were abortion you know if if you want to protect the woman's right to choose you've got to vote for the democratic candidate etc 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 and and i think that did reflect the fact that a majority of wisconsinites believe that in some way shape or form abortion should be legal and again we can argue about should it be 14 weeks should it be 16 weeks should it be 18 weeks roe was 20 weeks but at some point in time it seems to me that the legislature has to do something to move this issue along. And just saying, okay, we're going to wait till the Supreme Court decides whether this law can be enforced. And then if they say the law doesn't buy, is, is, is no good, then, you know, then you've got no restrictions at all. Then it's completely and totally, you know, open season. At some point in time, don't we need to come together? And, and is this, is this a time where, Maybe the Republicans that control the state legislature, even though many, many, many of them are pro-life, need to recognize that, hey, we, we need to move this along and we need to have some sort of statutory scheme to allow uh, women in Wisconsin to receive abortions instead of having to be transported down to Illinois or over to Minnesota. And again, I don't know what that magic time is, whether it's 14 weeks or 16 weeks or 18 weeks. I, I don't know. But it seems to me we've got to do something, and it starts in the legislature. And just saying, no, 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 we're not going to do anything, to me, that, that's, that just doesn't make sense. And you don't need a referendum or non-binding referendum. I think we all know what the non-binding referendum, if you had it, would show. The vast majority of people believe that there should be some provision to allow folks to get elective abortions. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, where do we go from here? And, and I just, I, I throw this out there because it seems to me that just to go through election cycle after election cycle after election cycle and ignoring this issue and doing nothing when the whole purpose behind these, the Dobbs case, the Supreme Court case that you know overruled Roe versus Wade, was saying this is not a federal matter; it is a matter for the states to consider. Shouldn't the Wisconsin legislature consider it? And what should they do about it? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss in a moment. Come together. 
Yeah, look, I mean, Tony Evers saying, I, I want a statewide referendum on the question of abortion non-binding, I mean, that's a political stunt designed to try to impact the state Supreme Court race in April. But but putting that, that aside, that's not going to happen. We know that the vast, at least the majority of Wisconsinites, support some form of elective abortions. And I guess I don't know I don't know exactly where that, that kicks in, whether it's 10 weeks or 12 weeks or 14 weeks or 16 weeks or 20 weeks, which was Roe. Or I see there's some people I know out there that are on the extreme other end that don't think that there should be any limit on elective abortions. And I, I feel that that's infanticide by, myself. But having said that, we need to we need to don't we move this conversation along and simply saying okay we've got an 1849 law and we're going to try to just pretend that this law is going to be enforceable and we're going to let this drag out in the courts isn't it the responsibility of the legislature to try to come together and come up with some reasonable solution and from a political perspective right now let's face it this is a loser for conservatives this is a loser for republicans maybe one of the ways to turn this around is to come up with a proposal saying hey you know we're 16 weeks we're going to follow you know what they're doing in texas or we're going to follow what they're doing in mississippi or whatever or south carolina we're going to go to 16 weeks or whatever and then if the other side wants to argue that no that that's extreme well, okay, then you can have that conversation. But just to say no, 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 or we're not going to agree to anything unless it's no restrictions at all, that's not where I think the majority of Wisconsinites are. Brad and Madison. Brad, you're on WTMJ. Walla, walla. What? Brad. Brad, you're on the air. Who is it? Oh, oh, Brad? Oh, okay, Charlie, get rid Brad, got to go. <laughs> Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think we need to have a conversation about abortion. I personally think that the inconvenience of ending a life going to Illinois is a small convenience in the, compared to what it is, but have the conversation, just not in an election um, circumstance, incentivizing people to use this as an issue. Jeff, leave it as it is. We don't mind going out of states to exercise our freedoms. Okay, so this is one of the, the snarky sort of things. Um, Jeff, I have zero confidence that state Republicans will do anything in the best interest of their constituents as a whole because they're clearly most influenced and held accountable by only the most extreme conservative voters and media voices. There will be no compromise. Um, well, okay, then then we're not going anywhere. Jeff, thanks for difficult uh conversation personally i feel that there should be some sort of abortion rights um yeah. however i love ronald reagan's past quotation i noticed everybody who is for abortion is here today uh jeff i think <clears throat> if there is a referendum it needs to include a question asking what is the latest point during pregnancy and abortion can be done ron johnson suggested this during the debates should abortions be allowed yes or no does not give the needed answer that that's exactly correct because yeah, if you ask a question, should should abortions be allowed? Well, the, the, I think that doesn't tell you what you need to know. Because at some point in time, there needs to be a statutory scheme. Roe versus Wade had, a, for all intents and purposes, a, a twenty-week limit on elective abortions. That's what Roe versus Wade was. So, if Roe versus Wade is gone, and the courts ultimately strike down Wisconsin's 1849 law, I, that means, that means, to my way of thinking, there, there's no restrictions at all on elective abortions in Wisconsin. And, and I think, 
you know, that's going to result in, I think, situations that a lot of people are and should be extremely uncomfortable with. And that's that's going to result in this, this kind of fringe that's there. It's one of the reasons why I believe you need a statutory response to this. And I believe that the legislators, legislators who are trying to duck this aren't doing any favors to anybody. Jeff, you keep saying you don't understand. If you're pro-life, there are no exceptions. If you're willing to make an exception, you are pro-choice. No, I, I don't I, I don't believe that to be the case a, at all. But regardless, even if you believe that, you have to recognize, for example, if you believe there should be no exceptions, no abortions, that is an extreme minority position. That is not where the vast majority of people are in in the country and in the state. And at some point in time, I, I think we need to come to a consensus. And that consensus isn't going to make, you know, isn't going to make anybody happy. And I understand that. And there's people, I'm getting texts from people who are saying, no, you know, what's what's the difference? You're killing a child regardless. Well, th- there's a there's a balancing. And how you feel about abortion is a product of your, your upbringing and your religious beliefs and your personal beliefs, etc. Et and I understand people argue this and feel extremely passionate about it. But at the same time, just because you feel passionately about it, that this is, <clears throat> that it's a taking of a life, there will be other people who say, hey, up to a certain point, I should have a right to do what I want to do with my body and make my health care decisions effectively and and that's where that's where people are and again i understand we can continue to stick our our heads in the sand and we can say okay well we're not going to do anything but as as long as that continues this is going to be divisive you're going to have this turning up as election issues you're going to have you know women traveling to illinois or traveling to minnesota to get the abortions so we're not stopping those abortions from occurring we are just putting up extra hurdles for that I just think that you need to have a profile and courage moment, and we need to figure out where we're going instead of having this constant conversation like we've been having, um, well, for years and years, but particularly over the last year. And do you really want every election to be dominated by the question of, you know, should some form of abortion be legal? And I'm just going to here to tell you from the Republican perspective, you're, you're fighting a losing battle with that because if that's the issue the democrats are going to run on every every year what you're going to find is you're going to find it's going to be difficult to retake the governor's seat you're going to lose all sorts of seats moving forward at some point in time we have to wrestle with this and come up with a common sense solution and unfortunately i'm not hearing a lot of common sense coming out of madison Okay, let me give you an update on a story we talked about last week. There was a professor at Hamlin College in Minnesota, a small liberal arts college, and she was teaching a, a class on art of the world. Before the, the class, in part of the syllabus, they said, hey, we're going to be looking at various religious paintings that are, are part of global art history, including this very, very famous painting from the 14th century that depicts the Prophet Muhammad. Now, in Islam, you're not supposed to show depictions of the Prophet Muhammad, right? That's what led to the, the shooting at that Paris magazine a number of years ago. But she says, look, th- this is a famous painting and it's been on display at all these different you know museums around the world and you know we're 
we're going to be, as part of our curriculum, we're going to be covering this, right? That's what she does. So the nobody she gives the warning. Nobody has any problems. She teaches the class. The show that comes up, you know, they, they show the picture. They, they talk about it. And only after they talk about it, one of the Muslim students goes and complains. And she says, this is Islamic phobic. This is just terrible, you know, that I was subjected to this. And a number of other students who weren't in the class get behind this, and they fire the lecturer. Well, she turns around and sues. This case has now gone international, getting all sorts of attention. She's now sued. And... um the college, Hamlin College, after originally just saying this is terrible, they're now backing off. They just issued a statement yesterday saying, like all organizations, sometimes we misstep in the interest of hearing from and supporting our Muslim students. Language was used that does not reflect our sentiments on academic freedom. We have determined that our usage of the term Islamophobic was therefore flawed. And so they apologize. Now, what they're trying to do is make the lawsuit go away, and it's not going to work. But I wish some of these universities in Instead of just taking the the bait, instead of saying, oh, we've got a student somewhere who is offended, and so that automatically means that we have to react, it would be nice if they didn't have to be sued before they recognized that what they were doing was very, very wrong. Nobody can eat 58. You just said he could eat anything. Never eat 58. Nobody ever eat 58. Hey, Babaluga, we've got a bed here. My boy says he can eat 50 eggs, he can eat 50 eggs. Yeah, but how long? Well, I believe I'll take part of that wager. Two dollars, right here, the court. Oh, come on now, let's talk That is, of course, one of the most famous scenes in the movie Cool Hand Luke. George Kennedy, Paul Newman. Paul Newman saying, I can eat 50 eggs in an hour. Nobody can eat 50 eggs. Well, I can eat 50 eggs. And then, for those of you who've watched the movie, he goes on to eat 50 eggs. Now, <laughs> I was actually just kind of looking this up. If in real life, you can, is it physically possible to eat 50 hard-boiled eggs in an hour? And the answer is yes, it, it's physically possible. Matter of fact, competitive eater Joey Chestnut holds the world record for eating hard-boiled, egg, uh, hard-boiled eggs. He ate 141 eggs in eight minutes in October of 2013. 141 eggs. But but the bottom line is, don't try this at home. This we, we don't want this to be you know one of those hashtag challenges or anything because physically, could you eat 50 eggs? Yes, that's about six pounds of eggs. And a typical human's uh, stomach could actually hold all those eggs. Um, first of all, it's 3,850 calories. But on top of that, um, it, it's gonna it's going to mess up your digestive system for a long time. So don't try it at home. J- just see it in the movie. But why are we talking about, you know, nobody can eat 50 eggs because, well, one of the other reasons why you shouldn't consider trying to eat 50 eggs nowadays is because you would go broke trying to do that. Uh, this morning, my lovely wife made, made breakfast and had, had two eggs and some bacon and a little, uh, a little English muffin and stuff, and it was great. But we, we were talking about how expensive eggs have gotten. There's a story in the Journal Sentinel today talking about um, the eggs, the price of eggs has on average more than doubled in the past year. 
Retail prices in the Milwaukee area now start at about $3 a dozen for large white eggs and can be as high as 8 or $9 a dozen for free-range, organic, and other specialty eggs. That's $3 a dozen price is if you can find it in stock, and that's about what the average price is. And then the story goes through a number of the different places that have it, but the bottom line is essentially because of this avian bird flu, which is causing chickens to be destroyed, there's a huge shortage of eggs that, that are that are out there. Meanwhile, you've got demand, which has been what they call inelastic, meaning that people are continuing to want their eggs. So you've got fewer eggs. You've got people who want to continue to have their scrambled eggs or their fried eggs or their hard-boiled eggs or whatever. And so as a result of that, you know, the, what's going on is it's just simply supply and demand. There's not enough supply to take care of the continuing demand that's out there. Now, on the one hand, when you say, okay, the the price of eggs has gone from, I don't know, $2 a dozen to $4 a dozen or maybe $3 a dozen to $6 a dozen if you like the specialty ones. On the one hand, it's only a couple bucks. But at the same time, it's a couple of bucks, you know, once a week or twice a week or whatever. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Has, and I'm always curious as to, you know, the impact that inflation has on, on our buying decisions. In addition, I'm curious as to what happens when you know we look at against supply shortages. In this case, there is a supply shortage of eggs for a variety of reasons, most notably most no, notably this avian flu. But there's no question the price of eggs is going up. My question, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who absolutely loves eggs, and probably, I mean, I would have eggs every day if my wife wasn't concerned about my cholesterol, but, I mean, I, I, there's no way I've been giving up my, my omelets and my fried eggs and my scrambled eggs and things like that because I love it. But the price of eggs, there's no question that it, along with lots of other stuff, has been going up. Have you changed your eating habits at all? Are you buying fewer eggs are you adjusting your dietary schedule, or is it just, hey, I, I, I love my eggs. I don't care if I've got to pay $8 a dozen instead of $4 a dozen last year. It's worth that extra 4 bucks to get the eggs. Is this affecting your choice, or is demand really, like they say, inelastic? Are you going to get your eggs regardless of how much they cost? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Don't try eating those 50 eggs, though. It'll cost you a fortune. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, I, I do have to, in, in full disclosure, and I, I'm a huge fan of eggs, we have a, a very dear friend who raises chickens. And so not exclusively, but from time to time, you know, we're able to, to purchase we were able to go over to her place, and we, we purchased, like, kind of eggs from her, and they're, they're absolutely they're the best eggs in, in the world. You can't get them all the time, and she has not dramatically raised her prices. But it's it's amazing how this is going up. Jeff, it's not just eggs for daily consumption, but eggs are used in all sorts of other consumer goods, so the prices rise on those items as well. Time to raise chickens in the Wagner's spare room. I'm not sure how the condo board would feel about that. Jeff, we have a farm and raise our own eggs, but even if we didn't, no one would no one would stop buying eggs. The nutrition from five dollars a dozen eggs is much more than spending five bucks for a large bag of chips, and people don't blink at that. I wish 
wish people had more perspective about the value you get for your food, even if the price goes up. Jeff, I have free-range chickens and collect two to three dozen per eggs per day. I work for a local pest control company, and some of my regular customers constantly ask me if I'm in the area to bring them eggs. At $5 a dozen, I'm still probably a lot cheaper than the stores. Jeff, if you've been buying eggs at Outpost prior to the bird flu, you would have been paying seven to eight bucks already. You'd have to take a second mortgage to do that now. Jeff, I'm inclined to buy myself three or four laying hens and eliminate the problem. That's what Nicole says. Jeff, they're going for five to six dollars. When they were going for five to six dollars a dozen, we cut back. But I now saw that they were on sale at Quick Trip for three ninety nine. We might start to enjoy a few more eggs. I, I think it, it is. I mean, it is impacting people. Ron in Greenfield. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Ron. Thanks for taking my call. This is an excellent subject. <laughs> okay, we're going to get all the puns out of the way. Thank you. Excellent, my friend. What do you think? You know, it definitely did. The prices uh, really skyrocketed. So we make it a special day on Saturday or Sunday to have eggs. But uh, one trick I learned is uh, we host a lot of parties. First thing I tell them to bring deviled eggs. <laughs> you have that. Thanks for the call, Ron. I mean, I, I do think, I mean, I do think this is one of the things that's potentially causing people again to economize. It, it is. It is. Well, here's one of our texters, Jeff. The price of eggs has not stopped us from eating them or eating them less. I have adjusted, though, not buying soda or other non-essential items as staple items have continued to go up. In the summer of 2021, eggs were as low as 44 cents a dozen at Aldi last week. They were four dollars and twenty six cents. Yeah, somebody else just told me that at all these they were over four dollars a a dozen, and um, the, the, that, that was kind of unheard of for all these. Uh, Jeff, if it keeps up, I'm probably reverting to buying standard large grade A. I'm usually buying pasture raised or at least cage free. Yeah, I think. Eggs are one of these things where I, I really do notice the difference. So we do tend to, if we can't get them from our, our friend, we do tend to, whether it's organic or the larger stuff, because I, I guess I feel that I'm I'm sort of worth it, and I don't mind I don't mind cutting back on other stuff, but I'm not giving up my eggs. Danny in Janesville. Danny, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, how's it going? Good. What do you think? You know, it really doesn't bother me in the idea that okay, I I eat. Or I, I should say I buy a gallon of or a gallon of eggs, a dozen eggs, uh, usually like once a week. And, you know, I looked at the prices like, oh, OK, they're getting kind of high. Big deal. You know, a couple of years ago, pork was the big thing that went up. Now it's now it's eggs. You know, tomorrow will be gas again. Life is full of ways you got to adapt. And you just suck it up and you deal with it because eventually the price will go back down. And it's no big deal. And I, I laugh when I hear people going out, oh, I have to adjust my life, and you know, I have to do this and do that. And it's like, well, they don't eat the damn eggs. You know, it, <laughs> it's like it's not that big of a deal, you know. And, you know, I mean, like, for example, when the gas prices got to be as high as they did, you know, when we were paying almost $5 a gallon, did you drive less? No, you still drove to work. You still did whatever you had to do. You learned to adapt. Well, I mean, thanks for the call, Danny. I appreciate that. Although the truth is, when gasoline got to over five dollars a gallon, I think one of the ways people adapted was I think they they did 
in fact, drive less. And they maybe cut out or try to consolidate trips. And you can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, I mean, I think people do adapt. Now, I appreciate that. I appreciate that in the, in the overall scheme of things, you know, a dozen eggs going from a buck or a buck fifty a dozen to you know four bucks a dozen. That's not that, that's not as life changing perhaps as some of the other things that are out there. But at the same time, it, it's a very real factor. Now, I don't know the answer to this question. Uh, a number of our texters expressing a degree of um, a degree of skepticism are saying, "Well, if." Are you sure that this is legit because you you talk about the avian flu and how that's resulted in, in the deaths of you know, several million chickens, for example. Um, 2.7 million birds had to be destroyed in Wisconsin at a particular you know egg farm where the disease was identified in March. And some people are saying, well, okay, if, if there's a shortage of eggs, how come the price of chicken hasn't gone through the roof, and I think that that's a, um, you know, I, that I mean, I don't know the answer to that. I accept that I, I suspect that that maybe where you're getting the chickens from is different than where you're getting the eggs from. I mean, chickens, of course, the eggs come from the chickens, but the the laying hens aren't necessarily the things that are the ones that are being used for the chicken. But I don't know. I, I don't know. And if you want to go down the conspiracy route, I accept that that's there. Jeff, on your show yesterday, you were talking about smokers paying ten dollars a pack for cigarettes. And today people complain about $5 for a dozen eggs. There is irony. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that is a great factor. Jeff, unfortunately, I heard a national report that, like COVID, the bird flu is becoming endemic. So it could be this is something that's going to be ongoing. Jeff, we're buying more eggs over here with two growing teenagers at home, but we do try to get the best deal when buying them. Aldi and Quick Trip have received our business lately. Uh, I mean, I think people are probably shopping around a lot, and that's that's just the stuff that makes sense. But the bottom line, and one of our texters um, who goes to a restaurant that I go to says, hey, you know, it, I love their Denver omelet, and it doesn't matter. Even if they raise the price another couple bucks, I'm still buying the Denver omelet because, I mean, life is short. And you do want to treat yourself. But kind of circling back to where we started this this is a real phenomenon that, that's going on here, and it's a real everyday sort of problem. And I, I don't know whether it's an endemic situation or whether it's a temporary thing, but the bottom line is, again, if you go back to that Cool Hand Luke movie, I'm not sure where they, those prisoners would have come up with the dough to buy those 50 hard-boiled eggs that the guy was able to eat in an hour. Now, as a general rule, I'm not one of these guys that, that complains about how much money you know, somebody else ends up making. And, and I understand that whenever we talk about certain stories, people say, well, did, did you see what the corporate is? Did you see what the head of this particular company was making? Not, and, and, you know, they're not sharing it with the employees. Well, the, the, the reason, like, a lot of the, the high-powered executives make the money they do is because the board of directors believes that they, they add value to the company. So I, I don't like to get caught up in that too much, except – this story caught my attention, and if you are a shareholder in Walt Disney, the Disney company, you, you should it should probably catch your attention, too. The Disney executive who made $119,505 a day 
Jeff Morrell received, this is the Wall Street Journal, over $8 million in compensation for less than four months' work in 2022. He started working at Disney January 24th, 2022, as the company's chief corporate affairs officer. Less than four months later, he left following a public relations implosion that led to employee protests and pitted the company and then-CEO Bob Chapek against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. For those 70 weekdays, Mr. Morell made $8,365,403 in total compensation. $8,365,403 for 70 days. That translates into an average of $119,505 a day for four um, months' work. When the payouts associated with his firing agreement are taken into account, the per-day figure jumps to $176,746 per day. They also paid him about 500000 to move his family from Los Angeles to Los Angeles from London and another half a million to move away when he lost his job. Then, after he left the company, Disney bought the $4.5 million Southern California home that he had purchased. Um, and then, of course, as you might expect, Disney shareholders are not particularly happy at this. He was hired at a base salary of $489,500, given a bonus of $2.75 million upon joining. Stock awards options, other compensation, would add about $5.1 million to his fiscal 2022 compensation. Um, it, it's just, it's kind of staggering. And like I say, he, he, he lasted four months at Disney before... He ended up getting dumped. My only advice, now look, I don't know if this guy was worth all, all this money or not, but my only advice to Disney moving forward would be when you go out and you make these these high-level hires, you might want to have some kind of backside protection to say that, okay, if somebody doesn't work out and they're going to flame out, maybe there's a way we can claw back some of this money. Can you imagine? It's staggering. $119,505 a day. If Disney's not going to change their policy, I guess my next question would be, do you have any interest in hiring maybe a, a current talk show host and a recovering lawyer and former federal prosecutor for your uh, chief corporate affairs officer? I guarantee you I won't do a worse job than Jeff Morell. Back with lots more in just a couple minutes. The third hour of the Wagner Show starts right after the top of the hour news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very, very glad to have you with us. I, I meant to talk about this yesterday, maybe two days ago, and a number of people have been saying, well, you, you didn't get around to doing it. And that, that happens from time to time because I, I start the program with like really good intentions and then stuff comes up or I get distracted or new things, you know, uh, capture my interest or we get into an extended conversation that interests me and sometimes I, I don't get to everything that I planned but my philosophy is th there's always tomorrow there was a really interesting story a couple days ago in the local newspaper that talked about the, the way the way we live and the headline was no one wants to build condos Milwaukeeans want condos but can't find many and then the article goes on to talk about you know why condo um, why at least building new condos is 
is down, and it's largely because the banks they're willing to invest money in apartments, but you know they've been through a couple of these boom and bust cycles, and a couple banks really got hit hard uh, years ago by investing in condos, and then you know you have economic downturns, and they, they took a hit on it, and so they're reluctant to put up the money, which is why there's not a lot of new condo development going on in southeastern Wisconsin. There, I'm not saying there's none, but there's not a, a lot, and in general. What you see going on is the developers, instead of you know, building the condos, what they're doing is, is they're building apartments. And that, that's all well and good, except there's a lot of people who don't want apartments. They would prefer to, to have condos. Now, it's, it's no secret. I, I live now in a condo I, for um, well, 30 years. I had a house in, in Whitefish Bay. And when it got time to, to sell the house in Whitefish Bay, one of the things I, I was looking for is I didn't want another single-family house. I was getting to the point where I, I wanted I wanted to live in a condo. I wanted somebody else or the condo association or I wanted somebody else to take care of, like, a lot of the maintenance. I wanted something which was going to be more of a turnkey sort of thing. And we were very fortunate to find, you know, just a wonderful condo, which is the place, you know, where, you know, where we, we live now. And it's a nice condo development. And I'm on the board, and I like the people. Condo living, of course, isn't isn't for everybody. And I always explain this to some people as a, as a member of the board because you, you do give up certain things. If you want to put a swing set in your backyard of your single-family house, well, chances are you're going to be allowed to put that swing set there. If you're living in a condo, it, you're probably not going to be able to. If you want, uh, gee, I want to paint my front door robin's egg blue, Okay, well, if you're living, you know, in a house, chances are you're going to be able to do that, but you're not going to be able to do that if you live in a condo. There's going to be these restrictions. So condo living isn't for everybody, and I I don't argue that it is, but at the same time, as long as you can find that that right condo development and the financials are are solid and it's a good neighborhood, I, I I just absolutely love it, and I especially think for people who are getting to the point where they're, they're empty nesters or whatever. You've had the single-family house. You, you, love, you love the house, but you, know, you raise three kids in the house. The kids are now gone. It's this big house. There's all this upkeep that goes with it, and you'd like to downsize, but rather than paying rent, you, 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 know, you want to go the condo route. And one of the, I mean, untold stories, at least according to the local newspaper, and I believe it, is if you're going that route, you're going to have a lot of trouble, especially if you're looking for new condo development. If you want to rent an apartment, you know, no problem. Lots of nice rentals around and lots of nice areas, um, and it's it just pretty much depending on what your budget is. But renting is different than the condo ownership because condos, you, you do ultimately own it. So at the end of the day, when you decide that you want to leave, you're going to be able to sell it to somebody else, and you're going to be able to hopefully, you know, make money on your investment. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. I want to discuss with you the the whole concept of of condo living and whether or not it's something that appeals to you, and if so, why? And if not, you know, why not? Like I say, I wasn't, I mean, I'd rented apartments, and then I lived in this house in Whitefish Bay for going on 30 years, and so I'd never been through, like, like the condo process, but I, I... I, I'm very happy with where we are, understanding that there's some things I, I don't have 
control over, or at least they don't have as much control over. You know, the condo board decides what the monthly assessment is going to be. All right. And I, I really, other than, you know, being on the board or running to get on the board, you, you don't have much control over that. So you, you give up certain control, but at the same time, you know, other people are taking care of shoveling the snow. Other people are taking care of cutting the grass. Depending on the condo situation you're in, there's a different degree of maintenance. You know, whose responsibility is it for the roofs or for the windows? If you're in a single-family house, that's that's all your thing. 855-616-1620. That's the, acunate, that's the old, old habits die hard. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. My question is, all right, are you in the market for a condo if there were new condo developments, would you jump in? Would you buy? Or is this a time, nah, I just, I either want to stay in my single family home or I, I'm happy renting? 855 616 1620. We discuss in a moment. I, I found this story in the local newspaper just so interesting because the headline is Milwaukeeans want to buy condos, especially like a lot of people. You, you kind of age out of your, your home. You don't, you don't need the, the big house in Shorewood or you don't need the big house in, in Whitefish Bay with all the upkeep and stuff that you raised your kids in. So you, you, want, you want to downsize a bit. And at the same time, you also want more of a turnkey sort of operation. You don't, you don't want to have to worry about you know, calling people to do the maintenance. You want, you're willing to pay somebody else to take care of it. So condos are in demand. The the story talks about how no one wants to build condos and mostly because the banks don't want to finance them, which I find to be, you know, so interesting. And and again, I will be the first to acknowledge that it's not for everybody. Jeff, the most important consideration to condo living is understanding the condo uh, condo association's rules and fees. That's absolutely true. I mean, I I tell people all the time that condo condominium living isn't for everyone because, like I was saying earlier, there, there are. There are things that you are not allowed to do that you would be able, <clears throat> if you own a single family home, you, you can do that. You can put the swing set up in the backyard in, in all likelihood. In the condo association, you're not going to be able to do it. And, you know, there, there, I mean, nothing comes for nothing. So, you know, yes, you, you're going to get your, your grass cut in most places. You're going to get your bushes trimmed. You're going to get your snow plowed, but you're, you're going to pay fees for that. So it's also true that, you know, if you live in the single family home, you, you call and you hire people to, you know, do that. Jeff, is your condo connected to other condos? I could never do that. But after so many years of living in a single family home, I can't imagine sharing my walls with others. For example, I like playing my music as loud as I want whenever I want. Well, that's an issue. I mean, in our case, we have um, the, the development I live in 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 Wisconsin is it's you, you have there's side by side. So there's a, you, you share a wall, but um, our neighbors never hear us and we never hear ours. Jeff, we have friends that are happy with condo life and some that aren't. My husband and I made the decision two years ago to try to stay in our house for the next 20 years. God willing, 18 years to go. Thanks for your show. Jeff, I live in a condo that has a very park-like atmosphere, which can be very nice. Dues were very low for years. It turned out, though, that maintenance had been putting Band-Aids on repairs to keep dues low. Now they've gone up dramatically, and several special assessments are being done, which many are stressed out about financially. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, because... <clears throat> and and I mean I have a certain philosophy like I say I'm on our, our condo board which is that you you have to you've got to constantly raise dues just deferring maintenance and and you have to have decent reserves because 
to, at some point in time, you're going to have to do replacements on the roof or you're going to have to put in new mailboxes or you're going to have to, you know, do you redo the streets and stuff. Those things are going to happen. And so you, you have to put money aside. And so that's why, I mean, one of the things if you're before you get into a condo, you should certainly look at the financials of the, the condominium complex and try to decide, you know, is this there? Jeff, how many condo associations don't have backup funds necessary for major repairs? I'm hearing far many, too many instances of that. Well, I think that's that's something you you need to explore because I think that's fair. Jeff, I would love to find a condo around Wauwatosa, but the ones available are old and they go so fast anyways. Jeff, I'm not interested in condos because there's too many rules. Well, that's 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 it. You, I mean, I'll give you another example. There are, in, in most condominium associations, there are rules on, on pets, just like there's rules if you're, um, if you're a renter on pets. You know, it might be on the number of pets you can have. It might be on the size of the dogs, et cetera. But, you know, that's... That's it. Jeff, why is it that every condo association has that one person who makes it his or her mission to get involved in everyone's business? You know, I, we really don't in the condo association live, association I live. I, I don't we really I can't say that. But, yeah, it, I, I, I have friends who live in another one. And there's a horror story about like one guy who is just obsessed with various issues and makes everybody's life kind of miserable. Jeff, condo living wouldn't be right for us now, but it could be as we get older and can't physically do the work around the house. Jeff, condos don't appeal to me, but I completely get why some like that idea more than a house. My attitude might change once my kids are out and I get older. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. If a condo opportunity opened up that was similar to my current apartment in the same area, I would actually consider that now um, because my job is to the point where it's going pretty well. It's no longer contract work, and I wouldn't have to worry about moving. But then the second reason is that I'm getting some serious dog envy, especially when I hear about your awesome dog and John and Greg's (laughs) awesome dog. And I I don't think I could get a Greyhound like Greg's, but I'm pretty sure I could get either a Pomeranian like Sasha or um, a Corgi like John's dog's. Yeah, well, I mean, th- thanks for call, Jeff. And again, it, it's you, you got to investigate these these things. And like I say, in the condo complex I live in, and and look, I've, I mean, I've got two condos. I've got one in, in Florida. I've talked about that. The, thank you, Hurricane Ian. And I've got the, the one in 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 Wisconsin. And the, the truth is, there there are limits, and there's size limits on the dogs and things like that. And and you just have to know those rules going into the thing. Jeff, I don't want a group to be the boss of me. Well, and that's and that's that's one of our textures and that makes a very very good point. If you if you don't want that, condo living isn't for you. And if you don't want there to be limits on again the, the color you can paint the place or you don't want there to be limits on uh you know how if you're building a new condo how the thing is designed or whatever it's probably not right for you it's not right for everybody and that's what i always kind of tell people jeff we downsized to a condo in 2014 and love it the problem is hardly anyone sells and when they do they go really fast yeah and again there, there's different sorts of condos that are out there 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 are there, there's the the condo complexes, which are the apartment buildings, and in many cases they were built as apartments, and then they converted to condos, where you're, you're essentially living in an apartment building where there are all those condos. Then there's places like the side by sides or the townhouses and stuff. There's all these different types of things that are out there. It is 
I, I do think that there's, and the reason I wanted to talk about this is, I think that there is an incredible demand that, that is out there. And like I say, at least according to the story in the local newspaper, right now the developers, the, the banks are reluctant to build condos because what happened is they invested all this money, they lent all this money to these developers, they built the condos, the real estate market just kind of fell apart, and then you know they, they couldn't sell the condos. And so you know you got hit with some of these things, so they're reluctant to go back to that. Um, I, I don't know. I think... You know, moving forward, I think condo living is, especially as people get older, I mean, I think it's a, a nice alternative to to renting with the understanding that at least with renting, though, I mean, you've got your lease and you can always walk away from that. You know, condos, you have to sell it. But I, I just I continue to think that condos are going to be the way of the future, not just in really hot demand places like Florida, say, but also I, I think in, in places like Milwaukee. I think this is one of, don't be surprised if everything um, old becomes new again, and don't be surprised if you start to see more condo developments out there, because at some point in time, I think people are just going to get tired of renting apartments. Okay, well now I've started something. My producer Charlie's saying, that, that conversation about condos, now I'm I I'm I gotta start looking for something like that. Well, again, it's I just think, I think it's it, it's not for everybody. But as long as you understand that you know you're you're giving up some different types some types of control and stuff, I, I I have enjoyed condo living, and I guess that's I've been fortunate, and we have I love our neighbors and stuff like that. So I, I'm I'm sure. You, you can end up just like, you know, in a single family home, you can end up in a situation where you've got the neighbor from you know where that can certainly happen in condos as well. But in general, I've been lucky and I, I, I think it's great. I think there's also I think it's a tremendous growth area um, moving forward. Here's it's an interesting number. And I admit I was a little bit surprised. I, if you're a regular listener to the program, you know that I, I have no interest personally in an electric vehicle. Matter of fact, we just we just ordered a new car. We pick it up at the end of February, early March or something. It'll be a 2023. And the, the car I, I purchased, it, it comes in an electric, there's an electric version of it that would have been more money, but but I, I wasn't interested. I said, no, let, we, don't, we don't even need to do this. I, I want the internal combustion engine. So for a variety of reasons, I, I'm not ready for the electric vehicles. And I don't know that I'm ever going to be ready for an electric vehicle, but that's just me. Interesting story in the Wall Street Journal. Electric vehicles made up 10% of all the new cars sold last year. Now, that's not 10% in the United States. Rather, that's 10% worldwide. Um, China and Europe sold a lot more electric vehicles than in the U.S. Um, In the U.S., the share of all electric vehicles, and these don't include hybrids, these are all electric vehicles, the share of all electric vehicles rose to 5.8% from you know, 3.2% the year before. So it didn't quite double, but it has gone up. But about, let, let's round up, about 6% of the new cars sold in the United States are electric vehicles. That compares with 19% of the cars that are sold in China are electric vehicles. 11% of the total car sales in Europe are electric vehicles. So more and more people are buying these electric vehicles. At the same time, I I just, I continue to believe that they've got a long way to go. And I understand that the 
different automobile manufacturers and the government are trying to do everything they can to you know push people into these electric vehicles but I don't know. Do I, do I think that you're going to be able to get that number? Okay, so the number was a little bit less than 6% this year. Uh, do I think you're going to be able to get it to maybe 10% in the next three or four years? Yeah, you can get it to maybe 10% in the next three or four years, but I think getting it much higher than that is going to be really difficult until they deal with a lot of the issues that for American drivers, you've got to deal with with electric vehicles, which includes you know reliability of the batteries and the length of the charge and availability of charging stations. I think we're a ways away from at least widespread use of electric vehicles. But that's just me. I am curious as to your reaction. Now, typically, I, I, I leave... Sports to Greg Matzik or to our colleagues on our my teammates on our ESPN station, but every once in a while, I, I just there's stories out there that I just I have strong reaction to, and I'm curious as to your reaction. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, of course, um, he, he goes he, he goes on weekly. He makes an appearance on the Pat McAfee show. And he's talking about his future. Now, we all know Aaron Rodgers is scheduled to make almost $60 million. I think it's $58 million a year next year. That is guaranteed. So the only way he doesn't get that dough is if he retires. And let's face it, he's 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 not going to walk away from $60 million. That That's just not going to happen. So the question is, is he does he want to play for the Packers or does he want to play for for somebody else? And would he want the Packers to try to arrange a, a trade, which you know would give the Packers some salary relief? Um, it, it's still tough to to do that because he'd probably have to. First of all, you'd have to find another team that was willing to take on that huge salary that he has, and then you'd have to find another team that would be willing to trade, give the Packers what they they want. Um, in return for what they think is a Hall of Fame quarterback. So anyhow, this is they asked him, you know, you know where he is in his career, and he says, "Do I still think I can play? Of course, of course. Can I play at a high level? Yeah, the highest. I think I can win an MVP again in the right situation. Right situation is that Green Bay or is that somewhere else? I'm not sure, but I don't think you should shut down any opportunity." Um, he says, now, again, I'm not sure if there's about that, if it's in Green Bay, and there's more conversations to be had. Then he goes on to talk about how he, he's not interested in being part of, of a rebuild, um, and he says that he's um, there are parameters on his desire to return for a 19th season in Green Bay, saying there will be conversations on whether the Packers retain some veterans like Mercedes Lewis, Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, Robert Tanyan, and David Bakhtiari. So he's essentially saying, well, you know, I'd be willing to come back for $58 bucks, but I'm not interested in being part of a rebuilding thing. And one of the things I'm going to look at is my my buddies here, um, are they going to be bringing them back? Then he goes on to say it's got to be both sides actually wanting to work together 
moving forward. I think there are more conversations to be had. I think no player wants to be part of any type of rebuild. I said that a year ago. Reloads are a lot of fun because you feel like you're close. You're only a couple guys away. The game is about relationships. It's about players you play with and count on, even if they maybe don't show up huge in the stat book. And if the Packers decide it's time to rebuild, he says, well, maybe I want to play elsewhere then. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. So Rodgers is saying, at least the way I interpret it, well, I'd be interested in, in coming back, but I'm only interested in coming back if the Packers are going to have the players that I, I think they should have surrounding me. I'm not interested in having a bunch of new guys. And if the Packers drop a lot of the people who have been around for a while who are making a bunch of money, um, then then I think it, it's time for me to think about moving on. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. What would your reaction to Aaron Rodgers be? You hear Aaron Rodgers say this, and if you're— if you're the president of the Packers, if you're, you know, Murphy, or you're the general manager, or you're members of the board, and you hear him say, "Well, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm interested, I'm interested in doing this, but I don't, I don't want to finish my career in a situation that that doesn't doesn't allow me to flourish." All right, if you heard this, what would your reaction be and your response to Aaron Rodgers? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I'll give you mine, and we'll discuss in just a couple minutes. Back with more in just a second. This is Jeff Wagner. I always try to personalize this. <clears throat> I'm trying to think if if my if my boss, the awesome Emily, came to me and said, "Jeff, here's the deal. Next year, we're going to pay you fifty-eight million dollars to do your radio show, uh, but just so you know." We're making other changes at the station, and there's some people you like, and we're, we're bringing in all new other day parts. But, you know, we're paying you $58 million to continue to do your show from noon to three. You know what my reaction would be? It would be, thank you. <laughs> it, would, it, it would be, thank you. It wouldn't be, well, I'm not sure I want to take that money if you're, if you're moving, you know, so-and-so or, or so-and-so. It would be, no, no, thank you, and I, I will be here. I will do the best job I possibly can. I appreciate your confidence in me that you're willing to give me that type of money. That would be my reaction. Aaron Rodgers is, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, if I'm not, if I don't have an impact of this, you know, I, maybe it's time to move on. 855-616-1620. I, I was just, I was listening to this and thinking, you know, the guys. The guy stands to make fifty-eight million dollars a year, and he's arguing about not wanting to come back. Really, David in the Fox Valley. David, you're on WTMJ. So we're going to pay him five million dollars a month on average for him to come back and play. Who's lost two NFC games and barely had a winning record this year, and now he's going to tell us how we're going to run the deal. Yeah. <laughs> Green Bay made a huge, huge, the biggest mistake they ever made in the franchise history by signing him to this deal because yeah. he owns this franchise. Yeah. And now he's at least for the next year, he does. You're right. At least for the next year, he does because a long yeah. time ago, the dead money that we're going to have when he's gone, it's going to be like the 49ers were when they were deferring money in their big quarterback years. Green Bay won't put a competitive team on the field for five years after it's gone. And with the well, $58 million, 
I tell him, I tell him, you go find a team. Because yeah, David, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm. No, I appreciate it. No, th- thanks for calling. I want to get as many calls as we possibly can because we've kind of touched a nerve with this. I guess I'm just I, I, I look at and I understand that you want to win. And I, I don't I don't know if he says, gee, I think I can perform at this highest level. You, you certainly didn't see indications of that this year. Maybe it was because of the thumb or whatever. But at, at some point in time, th- this this constant kabuki dance of will I or won't I? And maybe I want to do this and maybe I want to do that at, at some point in time. And I like what David said. You, you hold this this franchise hostage. And I really, I mean, it, it's like, OK, here here is the deal. We're moving forward. This is the direction that we're following. Now, look, I don't know if the Packers are going to decide to bring back some of these you know, higher-priced veterans. My guess is, I, I doubt it, my guess is there, there, some of them that they're going to move on from. And if that's going to upset Aaron Rodgers' you know, fragile psyche, well, okay, that, that's too bad. Then maybe it's time for him to say, okay, I'm either going to retire or him to say, like David was saying, I, I want to go out and I want to pursue a trade. Now, the problem is... Again, trading him isn't going to be that easy because you've got to find a team that can give Green Bay what they want, but is also willing to take on this huge salary that he has. And presumably, they'd want to make a determination of whether or not he's going to play a couple more years. I I doubt that you you take on that huge salary for just one year, only to have him retire. Butch in New Berlin. Butch, you're on WTMJ. Doing, guys. Hi, Butch. What do you think? Hey, you know what? Open the door. Good riddance. Don't let the door hit you in the bum bum. You know, <laughs> it's the whole attitude that transfers down to the whole team, you know, and you're not going to find a, a team to take them. My gosh, I don't even think there'd be a circus to take this clown. Well, th- <laughs> thanks for the call. But, well, I look, I mean, look, he's a Hall of Fame player, and I don't, I don't mean to... I, I don't mean to diminish that, but at some point in time, you just become such a pain in the you-know-where that it, it's not worth it. And you, you're, 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 I, look, I, I get it that if you really thought that this guy was the same quarterback he was, he is at 40 as he was at 30, maybe you put up with the prima donna stuff and you put up with the will he or won't he or whatever because they're at that superior level. But the truth of the matter is athletes, and this is just the reality, athletes, as I've said before, their butts do not age like fine wine, and you, there, you, there, there's always a drop-off, and sometimes it's gradual, sometimes it's just like a cliff, and, and once you start to hit 30 or 40, 39 or 40, you, you are at that stage. Now, I don't wish Aaron Rodgers badly, but I guess I, I'm listening to this from the perspective of a Packers fan, and I'm thinking, you know, he should be—the the right response is— I'm under contract with the Green Bay Packers. I am committed to doing whatever the Packers need to, me to do in order to win. If they decide that they think it's time to move on, I'm willing to go along with that as well. That and and by the way, thanks for making me you know rich beyond the dreams of avarice. And I'm looking forward to thanks for paying me fifty eight million dollars next year. That's the response that normal people have. Jeff, I agree with you. Um, you know. Um, I, I recently I saw Aaron Rodgers stuff he was doing about ten years ago. Completely different guy. Um, they, they should have traded him last year. Um, Jeff, if you were not happy at the station and wanted to move on for more money with your buddies, you would. Well, I, I no. If they're paying me fifty-eight million dollars, um, my my comment is going to be thank you. Um, I'm not going to 
make any sort. No, I'm going to say, no, thank you for paying me that money. I will do whatever you need me to do. And if you decide that you want to send me to another station, that that's okay because I, I like getting those big paychecks um, every couple of weeks. Let's talk to Jim in Cedarburg. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How you doing, man? Good. Hey, what do you think? I agree with a lot of what you first. I agree with a lot of what you said, and first caller. You know, it's a nice topic to agree with you on, Jeff. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think uh, we've seen, you know, if, if there was a fear of Packer fans of having to experience a bad year because Rodgers wasn't here, well, we just have that, you know, so yeah. who cares? It's time to move on, you know. Plus, demands that we heard yesterday of basically revive the geriatric ward yet another year. Come on, these guys can't run anymore. Rodgers can't run. It's a lot yeah. more exciting to watch these quarterbacks that are mobile in the pocket instead of watching him dilly-dally, can't get rid of the ball, and you know a sack is coming on third down. So I'm yeah. ready to move on to love, and if love doesn't work out, hopefully they'll draft a quarterback in the first round, and now you got the backup to love. Because yeah. even at that, my God, what are they going to do? Hang on to a $60 million salary with Rogers and a twenty million with love. You know, yeah, no, it's, it's just, no. It, it, you, the numbers get daunting. No, thanks to call Jim. I, it, they do, Jeff. I'm. Uh, this is from Mike in Marquette, Michigan. I'm unsurprised by his remarks. It sounds like he's seeing the writing on the wall. I don't believe you can realistically keep all of his friends, pay Rogers at his age and skill ability, and keep Jordan Love. He's not going to retire, and I think the Packers will look to move him. I, again, that's to me. That's the most. That's the thing that makes the most sense. And I, I'd say we're getting swamped with texts, as you might expect. Ninety uh, percent are time to move on. Uh, about five to ten percent say no. He, he's a great quarterback, and he's the one that gives the Packers the chance to win. And you know we should do whatever it takes to keep him. So it, it's about ninety ten is is what I would say here. I look at this and I just say. I'd like to see a little bit of gratitude, I, I guess. In, and, and I understand we live in this age where it's it's the players that, that have the calls. You know, if, if you look at the NBA, for example, the NBA is a player's league. So LeBron James doesn't like the coach, and so the, the coach gets fired. So, I mean, I understand it works that way. But at, at some point in time, you, you can get away with that. Again, maybe you can get away with that if you're a 29-year-old Aaron Rodgers. I'm not sure. You get away with that if you're a 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers. The biggest issue to me for the Packers is, like a couple callers were saying, to me it's trying to find a, a trading partner. First of all, you got to find somebody who's willing to take on that huge salary. Then you got to find somebody who's willing to give the Packers, you know, something other than some, you know, used footballs and things like that. You got to still make that deal. So I don't know who the trading partner is, but there might be somebody out there. There might be that that team that figures your one Hall of Fame, even though he's not playing at a Hall of Fame level quarterback away from getting to the Super Bowl, or maybe you figure this was an aberration, and maybe you're figuring that, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to go off to, I don't know, Tahiti and find the fountain of youth, and he'll be able to come back and and he'll be able to play. I I don't know what that answer is, but I I guess from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, it would be nice, at least in my opinion, to see just kind of a little bit of of gratitude. And, hey, I want to be in Green Bay. If Green Bay doesn't doesn't want me here, that's fine. I'm willing to look at at trades. But, I mean, he's not going to retire. And he's, I think, not going to go away quietly. 